Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve as the life group pastor. So part of my responsibility in that is talking with leaders and co-leaders and hosts of life groups and describing to them what it means when we talk about connecting to community, describing to them how community works, what it should look like. And I'm constantly describing that idea and, and learning myself all the time what community is, what it looks like. And sometimes, like this morning, it means I get to preach about what community is, why connection is important, what is different about the community that happens in this place defined by new life and the gospel. So that's what we're going to do this, this morning, and I'm excited about it. Do you remember the last time you started a new job or joined a new organization or started volunteering somewhere new and different? You probably had what they call the orientation. The, the point at the beginning of your employment or the beginning of your service where they explain, here's how we do things, here's the way we talk about things, so that you understand the language. I remember when I started one of my first corporate jobs was at the... Uh, the global company, McDonald's, and the first couple days was explaining, here's the McSauce, and here's the McFries, and here is the McDetergent, and here is the McSoap. I'm not kidding. Everything, everything is Mc at McDonald's. But in a more serious way, my current job, I'm a full-time, uh, I work at a full-time, as a full-time guy at a mechanical contractor. So the first week there was spent, here are the reports, here's how we keep track of things, here's your WIP report and the POC report and the production meeting and the one-on-one meeting and the billing meeting and the accounting meeting, and here's how we talk about things. And it was a fire hydrant of information because they had a way of doing things and a way of talking about things that they needed to express to me so that when someone asks, hey, are you going to the, the POC meeting? I have no idea what you're talking about. But because of the orientation, because they shared their language with me, I knew what they were talking about. I knew how they did things. I knew how they wanted things to be done. And you learn that language so that you can be on the same page with everyone that is working with you because you have the same goal. New Life Church has a language to help people simply understand what the church does. The difference for us in comparison to a company or a global enterprise like McDonald's is that the ideas behind the language is not something that we invented to help us better create a widget or better perform or give a service. In fact, they're not anything we invented at all. The ideas were given to us in this book. And to help us simply understand, we worked up a couple words, a couple ideas, so we can communicate these ideas to the people in this room and to the people with whom we come in contact. Our mission is set. We don't get to come up with a unique mission as New Life Church. Churches make disciples. That's what churches do. That is the game plan. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's what we're doing. The plan has not changed. That's our mission. We can say that in a variety of ways and in a variety of times, but that is the mission of any true church. The way we as a local church, New Life Church, say that we make disciples is that we engage people disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. That's our mission statement. That's our way of saying we make disciples. In our little identity book, if you were to pull that out, and, or there's one on the table, you can grab one later, you would see that the mission statement is in there. Also, several ways of describing the actions of the church, 
Oftentimes, the most common way you see it will be on a slide or in the bulletin you have in front of you with the three key several words. Four, there's actually four words. Um, and they will, those are shorthand for how we talk about what we do here as a church. So for this three-week little series, we've been explaining three of those words, engage, connect, and delight. These are not a cool branding tagline like maybe Apple would throw out or Google would throw out. This is the language we use to describe the actions of the church. These are the things we do as a church. So in continuing in this three-week series, we're gonna, you're going to be reminded this morning, you're going to be reminded next week. If you have been here for a while, you're going to be reminded this is what we do as a church. And if church is new to you, you don't know what church does at all, perfect. We're going to explain what a church does. So open up your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter. That's the letter that Peter wrote. It's almost at the very end of the entire Bible, just a dozen or so pages before the end of the Bible. And we could have picked many books from the New Testament to help us explain what the church does. Because the New Testament talks a lot about what the church does. And part of the point of this whole series is to show you, every year we just grab a different letter, right? And we, do, we describe, connect, serve, delight, engage. Um, and it's always from somewhere different because the language of what the church does is everywhere in the New Testament. But this time we're going to use First Peter for this short series. We're using First Peter because after this series we're going to jump back into our normal rhythm. We usually pick a book, we go straight on through the book until we're done with the book, then we go to another book. And once we're done with this little series, we are going to jump into the book of First Peter. So let's just show you the language of the church is also here before we do that, do that series. Um, but this morning we're going to see the connect language in First Peter. And Peter is going to remind us that the gospel-formed community is a distinct community pointing to the work of Christ. Let me read from two passages of First Peter. The first one is chapter 1, starting in 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then at the end of his letter, in chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Did you catch, did you catch the phrase? The phrase is one another. Where the, where the Bible uses the phrase one another, you can be sure that community is being referenced, that we're talking about community. Throughout these, passage, these passages, Peter describes and assumes much about the community that is formed by the gospel. And as we walk through this morning, we will see this gospel-formed community described, and later we'll talk through gospel-formed community practiced. But let's start where Peter starts. Having purified your souls, in chapter 1, by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This passage starts with an idea perhaps you understand, perhaps you are familiar with, the purification of our souls by your obedience to the truth. If you spend any time in church, that seems to fit the basics, right? Give your life to Christ. Obey and turn around and follow Jesus. 
Salvation is the purification of our soul that comes with the obedience to the truth. We heard the beginning of 1 Peter, the beginning of this letter, which which outlines the gospel at the beginning of the service. There is great truth there, good news there. said the mercy of God to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And simply defined, a Christian is someone who says, yes, Jesus' resurrection is true. There is hope and mercy because of Jesus. I agree and I'm with Jesus. That's simply defined. That's what a Christian is. Peter continues in the sentence, Obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Salvation is not individualistic. Salvation happens to an individual to be sure, but Christianity is not something individualistic. We are saved into, purified into, welcomed into a community. And Peter says, for brotherly love, more than just a community, we are saved into a family. Often, in our postmodern context, if you keep your ears open a little bit, you hear people saying, I don't need church to be a Christian. I don't need church for Christianity. Which to some degree is saying, I don't need the community of Christians to be a Christian. I don't need the people of God to belong to the people of God. That's silly. The good news of the gospel is not an individual good news that people enjoy to their own benefit alone on a couch. The gospel is the announcement that God is purifying the souls of former rebels like you and me by his death on the cross and resurrection so that he can make a people, a formerly rebellious people, into a family. A people for whom he can be their God. That's the gospel. And that is not individualistic. We're saved into a community. And there is satisfaction and deep joy in the fact that that's true. Belonging to a family, a community of the people of God, that's a joyous thing. We often say, oh, that's my church family. I I don't think we realize how true that is. That's your real family. I have a friend in my life group who has a a horribly broken immediate family. His blood family, is, it's a broken thing. To call his dad is a, is a painful thing for him. To talk to his family is a hurtful thing for him. And he comes to life group and he shows up and he says, this is my family. He gets it. We have been witnesses and some of you have participated in getting baptized and identifying with the family of God in baptism. And some of you have even lost family, lost blood relatives because you say, I'm with God. I'm with Jesus. That's realizing true family. Realizing the community to which we belong. You are right. My buddy in life group is right. This is our family. This is our community. There is a real sense that we are family of God. We are with God. This is not a sentimental adoption. This is not just a nice thing for us to say. We share relation with God together. We have the same Father. That's what it means to be in the family of God, in the community of God. Peter continues, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter is reminding this group of believers what they ought to do in community. What does it mean to be in community? And he says, love one another. There's the one another. 
love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This type of love revolves around righteous relationships, properly put together relationships based on God's character. Love based on God's character. And the character of God is such that he sacrifices himself for the good and service of others, for the good and service of us. That is the gospel. I need gospel. I need good news. It is only if the gospel is true that I can love this type of way, earnestly and with a pure heart. I need God, the Holy Spirit, to show up and change me to love this way. And all of those factors are present in the community of God. In the community formed together because the gospel is true, there is family, true family relationship and power and catalyst to love one another. And there's the Holy Spirit there to empower us to do the work of love and service. Have you ever leaned in when you were not really comfortable doing so? Have you ever leaned in when you were just really tired and you didn't want to? But leaning in meant, I'm going to love instead. I'm going to decide to love anyway. I have found that God often helps me and gives me what I need to love in those situations. It's, okay, all right, God, I'm tired. I feel tapped out. But I'm going to go do that emergency room visit. I'm going to go sit in that emergency room with a friend. I'm going to love them that way. I'm going to go have that phone conversation. I'm going to go have that hard conversation that I don't want to have. I'm going to bring, invite that person in for food. I'm going to let that person crash on my couch. And, and make, don't make a bad assumption. I don't have these experiences because I'm a pastor. I have these experiences because I'm part of the community and they show up. And I have found that every time I lean in and go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this, God shows up and helps. God shows up and allows me to love one another earnestly. That's what happens in the community of God. We have been given the ability as a community to love earnestly because God's here. God is giving us that ability. And Peter reminds us that that is what we do. Peter continues talking about the why behind this, this kind of love. He says in 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Two things here. First, you have been born again. There is life again. There is new life. Did anyone just figure out why we named our church New Life? There is new life in those who have the gospel, in those who have the good news. God has shown up and done something greater than just the beginning of our original lives. The good news is that in dying and resurrection, Jesus has done something, something different. He can offer something new. Jesus is breaking into our present broken lives and giving us life that is imperishable, inextinguishable, unquenchable, never-ending. We have all been born, I hope you know that, we've all been born, but that life is perishable, temporary life, failing life. We all live in an existence where entropy rules the day, things fall apart. Decay inevitably sets in. These bodies will die. The resurrection of Jesus is good news because it is proof that Jesus has restored life in such a full and comprehensive way that he can give us new life that will not perish. 
This changes everything. It most certainly changes the way I think about life in general because now my life is not simply a run of 70 years around this track and then I'm done. But instead, a life that will be attached to Jesus' resurrected life and will never, ever end. Because Jesus' resurrected body is imperishable, because his life is imperishable, and I am in him, I too will have life connected to a resurrected body and one that cannot be touched by death. Because the gospel's true, our lives are not simply nasty, brutish, and short, as a dead philosopher once said, but now tied into the glorious forever. That changes life at the individual level and at the community level. The church is a new life community, a group of people who all share in this life in Jesus. And because of this born-again life, we can do things like love one another earnestly with a pure heart, not for ambition or gain or future favors or so that you get off my back and stop bugging me, but because we share in Jesus. We share in the imperishable life, and I can do different things now. I can love earnestly because my life has been changed by Jesus. Something new and distinct that is not like any other group of people. You don't see this happening in the world. The world is broken, and those with new life, Christ-given life, form a community that points to the gospel, points to Jesus, in whom we all have a share, and points to the Jesus who changes life. That's number one. And second, Peter talks about the means of hearing this message. He says, through the living and abiding word of God. At its most basic, the living and abiding word of God is the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, which has been preached to you or preached to the people who are receiving this letter. The words of God are the beginning of this type of life, this type of community. That proclamation begins to form the community of God. It is those words Peter references in saying, you were told these great words, and it is through them that you responded to truth and are born again. This book, the Bible, is full of the words of God, full of the gospel, full of the good news. And the community of those attached to Christ That community is rooted in this book. The words of hope are captured in this book. The words of what Christ has done are captured in this book. The things God has done for us are proclaimed in this book. The good news that God is making a people for himself that will be a living and resurrected people out of the broken and dying world, that's all here. That's all written here. And that's why the gospel community, the born-again community, the new life community is tied into this book, the words of God. So at the beginning of the letter, Peter references and admonishes the community as familial, loving, born-again, and attached to the word. Peter also references the community again toward the end of the letter. If you were to flip to chapter 4, that's towards the end, and we go back to verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. I love that. That is fantastic, epic language. I think that taps into the emotion that Homer tried to tap into with the Iliad and the Odyssey. 
I think that taps into the majesty that Tolkien tries to tap into in The Lord of the Rings. The end of all things is at hand. Peter knows and the community of Christ knows, but sometimes needs to be reminded that the end of all things is at hand. The completion, the culmination of the entire story is just around the corner. We sit in an age that represents a dramatic shift in all reality compared with the rest of history. Because at a particular moment in which we can now look back, God showed up. Christ Jesus showed up proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. And Christ died and did not stay dead, but God raised him from the dead. And that resurrection was groundbreaking. That resurrection changes everything. That resurrection proclaims that for not much longer shall this broken earth sit as it does. No longer shall heaven and earth be separate. The place where God dwells and the place where man dwells. No longer shall the curse of sin and death affect every aspect of what we experience. The resurrection of Jesus is a clarion call that the beginning of the end has come. The completion of the story is imminent. The end of all things is at hand. We live in a time now where we know the end of all things has been put into motion. Christ has been here. And now we anticipate. We are the expectant community. Knowing the return is coming. Knowing the King is coming. Heaven and earth are coming together. Consummation is coming. Restoration is coming. The one who makes all things new, he is coming. And his return is at hand. And thus the culmination of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. That's good news. And Peter says, in light of that, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter reminds this community, keep your wits about you. We know what is about to happen. We know what is just around the corner. But the warning he gives is reasonable because sometimes we live in a way that is out of control and kind of drunk-minded. You have seen this happen. The one looking for the return of Jesus with every major news event. Oh, this is getting bad. I think tomorrow Jesus is showing up. The person living as a prepper waiting for the catastrophe of all catastrophes. Full of worry and doubt and fear. Or just the one that goes complacent, forgetting to live well here and now as representation of the kingdom of God. God can come any day, so I just may as well not do anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait. That's just dumb. We can easily drift between complacency and mania. Peter is telling the expectant, the anticipating community to instead be level-headed. So you can pray well. Keep the full truth in mind so you can look at the world and walk through the world in a sober way and you can pray well. That is another aspect of this community. They know the king is coming and they can talk to the king and the king listens. Have you pondered that? That is fantastic. 
The king is coming and we can talk to the king and the king listens. He wants us to talk to him. Gospel community, born again community, new life community is characterized by prayer. By talking to God. This is a praying community. We've been praying all month because we're trying to understand ought we do this adoption of Gladstone? Let us talk to God, the, the bringer of the kingdom of God, and say, is this what we should do? Is this the wise thing to do? Because we want the kingdom to be proclaimed, and so our first step will be, please help us. Please help us. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us guidance. We want you to look good here and in Gladstone. That's why we pray. This is a praying community and a community that helps us remember what is true and helps us stay level-headed. Whichever way we tend to, to lean, complacency or mania, the community of Christ can jump in to remind you of truth. If you're the one that goes, I think I'm going to want to check out, I'm going to be complacent, a brother or sister can say, well, that is not believing the whole truth of the good news of Jesus. He said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. That is what the church does, brother. That is what the church does, sister. So let's pray together and ask God to remind us and help us and let's go. Or the other that says, I'm freaking out. God is going to come tomorrow. Things are just horrible. They've never been this bad. Chill out. God said, no one knows the hour and that includes you. Jesus also said, I am with you always. He taught us how to pray. Let's talk to him. That's what the community can do. That's how the community can help one another. We are an expectant, sober, and praying community. Peter continues in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. There's another one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, love one another earnestly. Wherever there is a one another, you know there is community. And another end of this type of love, another end of our love and community, is dealing with sin. Because love covers a multitude of sins, many sins, plethora of sins. Sin is real and deadly and soul-crushing. The curse is far-reaching and each of you have been broken by it. And one of the most vicious lies that the devil tells is that sin needs to be worked out on your own. Go sit in the corner, get cleaned up, and then you can be part of the community. Don't share it with others. Don't bother people. Don't burden people. That's too heavy for other people to deal with. That is a stinking lie. And it is just a way to isolate and shame and discourage you. Do not believe it. God the Holy Spirit works at killing sin in community. In this community where the earnest love is. That is where sin is covered. That is where sin is dealt with, worked through, mortified, abolished, slaughtered. The, the gospel-formed community can deal with sin. Sometimes the occasion of the dealing is that the sin has an effect on the community. Someone who continues to gossip or spread rumors or, or just speak in a hurtful way 
about others in the community. And in, with earnest love and graciousness that the community has, it can handle the impact of that and also walk up and say, brother, sister, those words you say are not building up. They are not loving towards us. They hurt me. They hurt this community. And brother, sister, we are the community of the gospel. And the gospel is good news that Jesus died even for this sin. And you do not need to walk in it anymore. I want to walk with you and pray that the Holy Spirit would kill this thing in you. Let's walk together. The community can do that. Or maybe it is the sin that you've been hiding in shame for weeks or months or years or decades. Hidden sin is the heaviest weight on the shoulders. I know. Hidden sin is the heaviest weight on the shoulders. And the enemy of Jesus, the enemy of his community, would love nothing more than for you to keep it hidden and feel isolated and alone as though you're the only one who has ever engaged such a thing. It is just not true. And in gospel-formed community, where earnest love resides, even those sins can be shared. Addiction that you hold, or hurt, or sin that's been done against you, committed against you, actions you have done that are stuck in the back of your mind, always there lingering, festering, you can share in community and shed light on sin. And in the light, sin does not flourish. It shrivels up. And regardless of the magnitude of the sin, regardless of how big you think that is, that you're thinking about right now in the back of your mind, no matter how big that is, the gospel remains true. Guilt is taken by Jesus. Shame is taken by Jesus. And there is no story in this room big enough that it would change the the trueness of the gospel. The gospel remains true. That Jesus really did break into this broken reality and give new life to us. He really is mending brokenness and will make all things new. The gospel also gives us our identity. I am not my brokenness. I am in Christ and that is my identity. And that is true. And in community, gospel-formed community, you can feel the weight lift off your shoulders because love covers a multitude of sins because the love that is present in the gospel community is the same love that Jesus gave when he died on the cross for our sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And what else does this community do? In verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This idea of hospitality is also something we talked about when we were in Romans a little while ago. It's describing the generosity given to strangers so that they move toward friendship. It's the generosity given to strangers so that they become friends. This is often by food or lodging or just being welcoming. In this context, it was likely to unknown Christians, people that were traveling around the area, but they didn't have any place to stay. They didn't have anywhere that they could eat food. And and the community would open up their homes and be hospitable. And Peter is frankly reminding these Christians that we show hospitality and without grumbling. 
We are the community that reconciles and shows generosity because we are the people of the God who reconciles and shows generosity. We have been reconciled and God has been generous to us. So we are the type of people who are generous to others. We are the type of people who are hospitable because we have a hospitable God. We are a hospitable people. And we don't complain while we do it. You've done this. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can come eat at my house. I hate it when they come over. They don't take their shoes off and they're always muddy. Even if it's dry outside, their shoes are muddy. They eat all my food. They, they eat thirds and they take my beverages and then I don't get to watch Netflix and I don't get to have my reading time. Be hospitable without grumbling. And if that's what's going on, it sounds like it's a time to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help aligning my character to the character of God who is making strangers into friends. That's what this community does. And finally, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God is active in his community, in his people, gifting the community with what it needs so that it can love and serve the rest of the community. That means that the gospel-formed community is a varied community, full of different types of people, gifted in different ways so that the community is loved and served in all the ways that it needs to be loved and served. God cares about his community. And all of this is God gracing his community with what it needs so that it is served well. God graces his people so they are loved well. This often means that the community is full of a bunch of people that don't think or act or look like you. God has grabbed a wide-ranging variety of people and they are all part of his community and they are all part of his family and they are all reconciled to him. And he doesn't categorize them by age group or hobby. He puts them together in a reconciling way so they can relate together because they have the gospel in common. They have the good news in common. They have connection with God in common. So Peter describes a community that is expectant yet level-headed, praying, sin-covering, hospitable with various people and gifts, and these people are born again through the Word of God and love each other in a family way. Gospel, born again, new life, kingdom awaiting community is not limited to the early church, not limited to the beginning. It is not limited to the recipients of this, the original recipients of this letter. We carry on that type of community here at New Life Church in 2019. Peter shows us pictures of gospel community described and directed. Now we, as a church, lean into gospel formed community practiced. A new life community has been created, not just because we put that as the name of our church. The good news of the gospel has occurred. Jesus' death and resurrection changes the trajectory of the world, and a new community now exists because of that reality. That was truth when this letter was written mere decades after the resurrection of Jesus, and that same monumental truth is in play here today at New Life Church. The gospel remains world-changing, community-forming, 
grace-giving, and we can have our souls purified by obedience to that truth. Join the community of Christ. He is still active. He has not stopped working. His return is still imminent. And if you are not connected to Jesus, do that today. Connect to Him and be part of the community that He has created. Connect to Jesus. Because our culture does not naturally do community well, I don't know if you know that, we have to give ourselves forms to help us get into the habit of community. Sometimes community can happen well in a group this size, but often the most helpful sizes are the the type that can fit in a living room or fit around a kitchen table. Family-sized groups. Here at New Life Church, we call those groups life groups. The place where disciples gather. Some of you are going, we need a bigger living room. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we, have, we have more than just those that fit around a table. But that's where, that's where disciples gather together. That's where community practically happens. We need a model to practice like the church. We are not perfect, nor, as you can see in this letter, was the early church perfect. He told them who they were, but also reminded them, this is what we do. This is the type of community you belong to. Because it is easy to slip into old habits, old ways of thinking and relating. We could have pulled our practices from anywhere in the New Testament because the whole New Testament talks about what the church does. But we pulled them from Acts, which describes the beginning and the forming of the church. If you were to go to Acts 2, I'll just read it for you. In verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Acts gives us some handholds about how the community started up and what the community looked like. And nearly every letter in the New Testament after this point in time brings in corrective language to help us understand and remember what type of community we belong to, what the community looks like that is defined by the gospel. Out of this passage, New Life pulls out five what we call practices. We practice food, fellowship, word, prayer, and mission. We call them practices because we are not naturally good at them. But we need to lean into them to make grooves in our minds and our hearts, grooves of learning, grooves of habit. The community of the gospel is an eating and feasting community because we know that where food and drink flows, friendship and relationship form. Fellowship is the sharing of life with one another. Sometimes that is the loving earnestly way through serving and caring and giving. And other times it is the love-covering sin type of way. The practice of word is the opening of the Bible, this book, reminding ourselves of the truth of Scripture preached every Sunday to the the larger community. And it's also pointed to truth when, when you or I forget or are discouraged. No, this is what the Gospel says. Prayer is the talking to God together and for each other because we have a God who is a listening Father that wants us to talk to Him. And mission, that's what Travis talked about last week. 
Mission is the engaging of others who do not know Christ and loving and serving them as representatives of the kingdom in hopes that they embrace the king we love and proclaim. A life group has a weekly meeting, sure, but it is a group, a small pocket of people that are a representative of the gospel-formed community. The born-again community that Peter describes here in this letter. The community that Peter assumes as he writes about the gospel, they have not ended. God continues to grow community distinct from the rest of the world, and that community is pointing to the work of Christ, what Christ has done for us. Now, in our day, we live life together, we remind ourselves of the gospel, we deal with sin, we love and serve each other, we remind ourselves of King Jesus and his return, we connect to Christ's community new life community, gospel-formed community, because the gospel of Christ is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the gospel, the good news, is true. Thank you that the proclamation of what you have done is true and world and history-changing. Jesus, thank you for starting the kingdom and doing the loving service of death and resurrection to make all of this happen. Holy Spirit, thank you for forming a community around the good news of Jesus. Help us lean into community. Put a burning in our hearts that longs for connection to the community that knows the gospel. And expel any community-killing lies that infiltrate our minds and hearts. And give us all we need to love and serve each other well. God, we need your help. Community can be hard work, but it is good work. Help us lean in when we, would, when we would rather walk away. And give us joy as we connect to the community that is formed because the gospel is true. Help us as we sing about the gospel that is true. Amen.